0: This is Attract, Engage, Grow, a Three Aspens Media podcast that provides a fresh look at how companies are using content marketing to stand out in today's ultra-competitive digital world. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 7, Capitalizing on Legacy in an Amazon World, featuring Matt Johnson, CEO of SpinStack Growth Agency. I'm Lindsay Konzak, your host, and I'm looking forward to sharing ideas and inspiration to help you attract, engage, and convert more prospects into customers. I'm talking today with Matt Johnson, who runs SpinStack Growth Agency, which helps industrial distributors and manufacturers adopt e-commerce and best practices around inbound and outbound marketing. He has a long history in this industry, growing up in a family-owned manufacturer, Acuform Signs. He's also worked with a lot of family-owned distributors. It's given him a unique take on how those companies can adapt to buyers' changing expectations in the market. We dug into that in our conversation. I hope you enjoy
1: thanks for being with us today, Matt.
2: Thanks, Lindsay. It's, a, it's an honor to be here, and uh, I'm excited to, to talk with you today.
1: Awesome. Well, can you, for those of our listeners who are not familiar with you and your past and what you do now, can you give us a little background um, and then talk a little bit about how you landed where you landed now?
2: So, yeah, I, uh, my grandfather actually started a Um, industrial safety supply company up in Canada um, back in the 60s. And uh, that morphed into a sign manufacturing business that was built here down in Florida. So I'm actually just outside of the Tampa Bay area. And uh, that business really took off in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Eventually, he handed over the business to my father. And uh, that sign manufacturing company went from a small little startup shop in a strip mall to you know, one of the premier sign identification manufacturers in the world, a company called Acuform Manufacturing. And uh, so today they make over 100,000 different products and uh, sell to 12 countries around the world and leading custom sign manufacturer, at least in the safety world. So I kind of grew up watching that whole thing happen. Uh, so it was really cool to kind of watch, you know, my father take control of the business as my grandfather retired. And I went away to college and I said, well, that's really cool signs and safety. That's, uh, that sounds fantastic. Good luck with that, Pops. Uh, I'm going to go play golf so i went on way to play golf and uh had fun partied in college and really came back years later kind of with the tail between my legs and a classic kind of prodigal son story and just was like hey i need to pay my rent is there anything available here and uh, definitely had no intention of making it a career but um uh, i ended up meeting my wife at that time early in my life i was 22 23 years old and i had a son and so My perspective changed a lot and then I became passionate about, um, you know, the family business for the first time in my life and uh, just put everything I had into uh, making, you know, the business my own. And so over the last 15 years, I've been everything from a graphic designer to a project manager to creative director to a new product development and R&D director worked my way up to the leadership team. And most recently, my new passion has been running a full-service marketing agency called SpinStack. It was formerly called Safety Marketing Services. I took over in uh, 2015. And ever since then, we've rebranded. We've added a bunch of different services, uh, kind of just turned the whole thing upside down and uh, grew the business. So that's kind of where I'm at now. I'm I'm learning a ton about uh, marketing and sales, and providing services for industrial distributors and manufacturers, and um, and and I've I've helped a lot of those companies build digital presence online, and it's been fun, and I've been learning a ton since since then. So,
1: great! Thanks for that rundown. It's such an interesting backstory, and I love that you come from the industry itself. So let's jump right in and talk about, because you've been helping industrial distributors and manufacturers build a digital presence, um, which is really a requirement today. Let's talk a little bit about the Amazon effect. I mean, I guess for those who haven't heard that term, um, do you want to talk a little bit about, you know, what you view the Amazon effect to be on this industry and what that means?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I never formally called it the Amazon effect. I know that that's that's a word that gets thrown out there. I didn't really know that that was a thing. Um, I just knew that when I came <laughs> over to this business and I started talking with our customers who are primarily industrial distributors, you know, there was a lot of confusion. There was a lot of concern about what I was calling the industrial buyer's journey and how that was changing. And so later on, we discovered that, yeah, that's the Amazon effect. So what we mean by that is that an entire generation of consumers and and B2B purchasing uh, managers and operation managers, you know, they're used to something different than what they've been given. And that essentially is the Amazon effect. It's just an experience that they're expecting. So it's about managing expectations, but it's also about coming alongside those expectations and providing solutions. And so what we found is that many of these industrial distributors were really behind the times in terms of their online presence. So a lot of their customers were asking for you know, an easier way to do business with them. So first and foremost, it started at the beginning of the buying cycle. They didn't have good data on their products, so their customers relied on you know, human sales force to be able to educate the customer about the product. And that was an issue because they didn't want to talk to a sales manager anymore. So that's one way that the buyer's journey has changed. So instead of talking to a sales rep, they wanted to just go online and research the products themselves. And uh, I think that was one of, the, one of the things where I realized, oh, we might be having, we might be onto something here because, you know, that was the backbone of my own business was a product database. And so we knew mm-hmm. that a lot of these distributors needed product data so that they could educate their customers so that they could make a decision without having to necessarily consult with a sales rep. You know how do I buy that product? Can I, you know do I have to fax in an order? <laughs> do I have to phone somebody? Um, or can I log into a website and you know place an order and check out? And then you know all the way through the buyer's journey, how am I as a distributor reaching out and, and making sure that my customers are getting service? So that was a big realization that I'd come across, and I knew that there was a lot of distributors out there who just did not have the basic technology in place, they didn't have the functions or the processes in place uh, in their business to be able to handle uh, really that Amazon effect that their customers were expecting.
1: Right. Um, and, and of course, you know, the word omni-channel is what pops up, right, when when people talk about the Amazon effect or the desire for a customer to be able to do business with you on whatever the channel they want to do business with you on, which is kind of that making it as easy as possible for them to shop and buy with your company?
2: You know, if I'm honest, I think a lot of distributors thought that maybe social media and uh, e-commerce would be a fad and that mm. it would pass and that maybe, oh, there may be a couple of specialist distributors out there who who use those channels and good for them and I'll just keep doing business the way I've always done it for the last 50 years. Um, but I think what we're seeing now is it's not a fad, it's not passing away very quickly and And a lot of those distributors are now so far behind the times they they don't really know what to do to catch up and so they're they're learning that they need to be omnichannel and some of the most successful companies that I've worked with um are true omni channel distributors, meaning that they have an online presence it's kind of their home base um so they they're really invested in their website their website is the place where it houses all of the content for their products um and it also houses all of their ties into their their software where they can manage their customer relationships as well. And um, so all of the communication happens from the website, comes back to the website, and then, of course, tying into that is, you know, to the traditional sales channels and the brick-and-mortar locations as well. And, you know, when you you start tying those things together using the software provided to us, um, we start to have a true omni-channel presence. And then that is where we're seeing you know, the best results, and that's where we're seeing growth, and it does take time because you're basically having to create processes that you've never had before if you're a traditional distributor.
1: I feel like this year I'm noticing, what's the word for it, suddenly a lot of companies are realizing they need to do something.
2: I think the word you're looking for is panic. Um, uh, <laughs> that's I think probably, that,
1: Yeah, it's something uh, like that.
2: <laughs> I mean, honestly, what we're seeing here is a lot of folks are kind of waking up and they're, they're going, I should have done this five years ago. And mm-hmm. you know, they've kind of kicked the can in terms of the way that they've responded to the new industrial buyer's journey. So that's okay. It doesn't mean that so there's no hope for those distributors. It just means that uh, we need to change our mindset and so one of the things I talk about a lot on my own show and the things that I talk about when I'm talking to customers is everybody wants to talk about nuts and bolts, pardon the pun if you're an industrial distributor. But you know, what really matters is not the technology, not the software. It's not what should I buy, you know, Big Commerce or Shopify or Magento or, you know, whatever. It's not that's not the issue. The issue is a mindset. And so it comes back to, you know, are we gonna truly embrace an omnichannel um, methodology and the way that we go to market, and if we do that, how does that affect our personnel? How does that affect our fulfillment processes? How does that affect our relationships with our vendors? Um, so, there's a lot to take into consideration, and I think that that's one of the areas where I see, you know, most traditional distributors struggling is, you know, not necessarily the implementation of technology, but, um, you know, the, the changing of a mindset.
1: But they need to, right? <laughs> they need I, to move forward
2: and I don't like to pull punches I'm pretty straight to the point you know I think what's going to happen is they're either going to or they're going to get purchased and I think yeah, we've I was been just seeing, seeing the that same thing. we've been seeing that across the the board in our industry there's a ton of consolidation that consolidation's not nearly over there's still a lot of traditional distributors who are hanging on and instead of investing in the technology and the processes that they need to take their business to the next level and really embrace you know, the future, they're just cashing out. And mm-hmm. they're just saying, well, you know, I'm not going to do this, so I'll just join forces over here and I'll work on my golf swing.
1: <laughs> right. Exactly. So, so that kind of brings us to an interesting point, though, because I actually think that a lot of these smaller family-owned distributors, and, of course, you come from a family-owned supplier yourself, I, I really think they're really well-positioned. They may not think so, but I feel like they really have the expertise and the story to use digital marketing to launch into that next generation, but I don't feel like most see that potential. There's a lot of great stories there. There's a lot of great expertise there um, that if they were really to capitalize on that online, I think it would really help them, I don't know, stand out or differentiate. I guess what's your take on that? Can these distributors bridge that gap between the traditional and the digital?
2: Yes, but it's it's a family dynamic that has to happen where the younger generation has to respect what's gone ahead of them. And so they have to respect what their parents have done and the relationship their parents have built with their vendors and their customers. And on the other hand, the older generation, and this is the, the classic family business dynamic, the older generation has to trust and hand over control of certain pieces gradually to the next generation. And I think that's where we see a lot of family businesses struggling, is that there's not a clear, identifiable transition. I've worked with distributors who have third and fourth, fifth generation people coming into the business who have grown up in technology. You know, They are millennials um, or even younger, and they're, they're familiar with what it's going to take to transform the business. Now, the problem is That business, in many cases, if it's a family enterprise, has provided stability and revenue for the family for, you know, generations or, you know, decades, and the older generation is very hesitant to let that sort of transition happen. So both sides need to respect what's going on there in terms of change management, and I would say that's one of the biggest things that I would tell folks to focus on. Have a process documented for change management. And have a transition plan in place, even if you're doing small things. For example, I know one distributor, large company, they're on the fourth generation now, and they brought in one of the the kids of the family into the business. And, you know, he had to, of course, kind of do his hard time first. He had to go out into the warehouse. He had to, you know, talk to customers and sales. He had to kind of work his way up through the business, and now he's in a position where he's running the digital marketing and he's doing a fantastic job, just absolutely killing it, building a website that their customers love, um, creating all kinds of new features that are innovative uh, and truly, you know, shaking things up and providing services that their customers have never had and really they can't get anywhere else. And they've given him the reins to do that. They've given him the, the freedom. Uh, but at the same time, he has a tremendous respect for, you know, what his family has built because he did have to go through and learn, you know, what it was like to call on a customer and what it was like to, you know, pack boxes and send them out the door. So I think that's really what we're talking about is, you know, having the older generation put some trust in the, the younger generation, but the younger generation has to have a work ethic that says, I am going to appreciate and respect the foundation that was laid before me.
1: I mean, and it's really about the younger generation also learning the business from top to bottom, because how can you represent the business using these technology tools if you don't, you know, 100% understand what came before you and what's there now?
2: Yeah, exactly. I think a lot of times where family businesses get it wrong is that the younger generation I know it's a cliche or whatever, but, you know, they have that entitlement mentality where they feel like I want to instantly get into control and leadership and and I just want to have it right away. And we want to create a culture, you know, and and I think it starts with the older generation. They have to say, you know, here's what you're going to do and you'll be rewarded and you'll have a fast track. But at the same time, nothing's going to be given to you. And honestly, that doesn't start in the business. That starts at home. And so that's what I try to do with my family, and that's what I've been fortunate enough to experience. And I've seen other families do the same thing with tremendous success.
1: So kind of moving forward into bridging that gap to try to become a digital distributor and provide the omni-channel experience, I'd love to talk about maybe some common mistakes that distributors make or maybe misperceptions they have. I would argue one simple mistake maybe is not having... A strategy when they start at all
2: <laughs> and a lot of times that comes down to just a stubbornness and management of you know thinking that we can do it ourselves and you know I'm, I'm certainly I'm not here to plug you know my own company but I mean leaning on a a marketing agency or leaning on a, a partner or maybe a consultant who could come in and help guide you and help put together that strategy Um, would be a better use of your time. A lot of time I see distributors who, and even suppliers, who when they, you know, they set out to do something, they know it's a pain point, they know they have to do it, but they have this do it themselves mentality. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. That's like the American spirit, right? Like, we can roll up our sleeves and get it done but listen your your expertise is distribution it's not technology, it's not marketing, it's not you know um, you know, innovation. So one of the things I always recommend is talking to an expert, and um, I've done that many times myself. Bring in a consultant for an area that you don't know very much about, like for me, it was you know it was management, it was finances. you know I'm not going to sit here and think that I know everything there is to know about accounting, so I hire an accountant. Um, in the same way you should think about hiring a, a technology consultant or a marketing firm.
1: So another mistake I've seen, um, and I'm kind of speaking from my perspective, a lot of what we do is marketing content. And I sometimes see people try to do too much too quickly. So for example, let's try to post 20 things on Twitter in a week when really they don't have mm-hmm. someone in-house or a yeah. champion in-house that can manage that. And then it's inevitably fizzles out. So, and I think you can apply that to a broader approach to digital.
2: Exactly. Please just put down the phone. You don't need to be on Twitter. So, (laughs) First of all, this is something I could talk about forever, but Twitter, for example, you know, you need to be able to post seven times a day to be even effective because it's a river that runs very quickly. And the only way you're going to get seen is to post every couple hours. It's crazy to think, you know, if you're just getting started in digital marketing, for example, that you're going to be able to handle all of these channels. So what I recommend is picking one uh, that you're passionate about, one that you like, one that you feel like your customers are on, and you know owning that, that one channel. And then when you get your legs under you and you've you figured that out, then maybe bringing something else in. But I see this kind of mistake happen all the time when it comes to the e-commerce world. Let's take a look at some of these big box companies. like. Let's say a Granger or a Fast and All. These are websites that have, you know, literally hundreds and hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars invested into their development. And Easily, I yeah. think a lot of distributors think, well, I can just I can have something just like that. I need to have my entire product catalog on that website, but they don't realize the kind of army it took in order to develop that product data and load it to the website. So what I always tell distributors who are just starting out, like with e-commerce, is let's start with your, your top sellers. Let's get the top 20% of the products that account for 80% of your revenue. Let's get those products loaded, and then let's create a plan to load products every month in order to eventually get there. You're gonna, it's going to take you a couple years um, because you don't have the budget to go out and you know, build a $500,000 website. So if you take you know, the how-do-you-eat-an-elephant approach, one-bite-at-a-time uh, mentality, you can really see some great results, and you're not waiting till perfection in order to get something shipped out the door. And I think that's mm-hmm. a very important thing for most traditional distributors to hear is that let's just get something out. Let's put something out there to the market that shows that we're in the game instead of waiting forever to get it just perfect.
1: I find that a lot of companies expect immediate ROI. You know, if they're not seeing results within a month, they're like, hey, this doesn't work.
2: Absolutely. I mean, it's the same thing. Social media is something that, you know, to build a true following, it takes years and years of consistent um, content development. And you have to be willing to put in the effort day after day after day. And sometimes you can go two years without seeing the return on the investment. And I think this just flies in the face of, you know, the way that a typical distributor might think or even a manufacturer, or supplier, you know, if I put my supplier hat on, I would buy equipment and then I would, you know, make products and sell those products. And I would expect to pay for that equipment in a certain amount of time. Or if I'm a distributor, I buy a product and I sell a product and it's just in and out, in and out, like a, a very fast moving turnover. Whereas the difference is with digital technology, we have to understand that you're starting from zero, you're already five years behind, and it's going to take you time to build up your following. It's going to take you time to sell products online and be competitive with people who are you know, that far ahead of you. It's just not a simple case of if you build it, they will come. It takes a lot of intentionality and a lot of patience in order to build a following and where you're getting, you know, people coming to that website and buying products on a regular basis. And that's a huge educational process that has to happen with your traditional customers. So, you know, whatever channel in that omni-channel experience that you're working on, you need to have a plan and you need to be willing to invest in that plan and have the patience to see that plan to fruition.
1: Are there other, I guess, common mistakes or misperceptions about this journey that you can offer that we haven't covered?
2: Yeah, I would say a lot of folks think that retail or the brick and mortar store is dead or printed Mm -hmm. collateral is dead. And I got to tell you, I've seen the exact opposite happen in real life. I mean, it's funny how you start hearing mantras out there and then, you know, they don't really always line up with reality. So one of the things that I've been telling distributors who have the ability to do this is to create a really beautiful synergism between their brick and mortar location and their website. And so what I like to do is I like to run advertising online for, let's say, a particular supplier or something or a product line that people are searching for and have people come to the website first. And then maybe offer them a discount or a promotional code and then have them come into the store to actually touch that product to talk to a specialist and to buy that product right there in the store and I think this is a power that small traditional distributors have that Amazon and you know the, the bigger chains can't really match so you know if I was a traditional distributor today I would be focused on creating a really um, synced up process between my website and my store location and i would want my store location to be as consultative in nature as possible so make it friendly make it an inviting space you know offer coffee one of the things cool that i saw one of our distributors do is they actually have little shopping carts where their customers can come in grab a shopping cart and go right into the warehouse and pick Whoa. out products and then check out with an iPad. And when I saw that, I turned to my uh, colleague and I said, that is the future of distribution right there. So yeah, I, mean, I would think- that's
1: like kind of the ultimate in omni-channel, right?
2: I think so. And I think that technology's out there right now. I, you know, I don't work for Shopify and they don't pay me to say this, but Shopify has got a, a tremendous omni-channel platform that they've developed where, you know, you have your online store and then you have your point of sale system. And that whole thing is synced up so that, you know, somebody can come into your store, shop your products. And if it's in stock, they can check out right there. You can email them an invoice or, you know, if it's not in stock, they can order it right there from the store or from wherever they want to. And the whole experience is just synced up and it's beautiful. And I think again, going back to where traditional distributors can really set themselves apart is that customer service and that product knowledge um, that they have that a website could never provide. And a lot of people think, you know, because I might help build digital websites that I'm trying to replace a sales rep. I really think that they can live in harmony together and I think that is what the customer of the future is looking for.
1: I feel like that reflection of the offline experience um, has to be there online. They should complement each other. If the expertise that your team has isn't reflected online, I would argue, based on the buyer's journey today, it's not going to matter much, at least the prospects because they won't know about it.
2: And I would just say... One of the ways that I've seen distributors fail when it comes to e-commerce is that they view their website as like a sales rep and that it lives Mm. on its own. And, you know, I put in $100,000 a year into this website, just like I would pay a sales rep who's, you know, highly comped. And, you know, I expect that website to stand on its own two feet. Whereas really, the web, that's, a, that's a misconception of how a website should operate inside of a, at least a distribution business. The website should be a partner alongside of the sales reps, and they should mm-hmm. all be familiar with how to use the website and connecting the CRM with the website so that the sales reps can drill into customer data. They can see how their customers are using their website, what products they're looking at, what resources are they downloading. That can unbelievably change the game for these traditional sales reps. Now, the problem is that management is kind of stuck with these, pardon the cliche, but, you know, these old Mm -hmm. school, you know, industrial sales reps, they kind of run the show and they're not willing to adopt this new technology. And so we have this really harsh divide between the new technology that the management knows they need for the future and the sales rep they currently have. And what I would say is like, if these sales reps don't get on board, uh, then you're really letting them put the future of your enterprise at risk. Start with at least one or two, you know, up and coming tech. And they they don't even have to be young. They just have to be willing to learn new technology, to embrace, you know, what we're doing on the website and to use that to help them grow the business. And then from there, you can grow and hopefully maybe kick some of those old school guys with the stubborn heads out of the business, bring in some of the, the new people who really want to see this blend of technology and service.
1: 100% agree. I mean, I would also argue that some of those more traditional sales reps are probably retiring.
2: If they're listening, I would just say, you know, take this as a challenge, you know, like yeah. you are, you are going to have to compete in a market of tech savvy millennial sales reps. And they may not have all of the you know, experience that you have, but they can go get that information a lot faster than you were able to get it. You know, your information took you 10, 20, 30 years, they can go get it in a year. So mm, because that information is readily available now. So it's a challenge. I think if I'm an older sales rep, I've got to push myself and learn how to use some of these new technologies and and adapt to using a CRM and social media um, if I want to be relevant for the next five or ten years.
1: So we've kind of covered buyer's journey a little bit early on, but let's go ahead and talk about it a little bit again to close up this part of the conversation. So, because I think it's so important to understand that buyer's journey, to understand that for example you shouldn't be sending out a bunch of emails for example that are all about promotions all the time because not every mm-hmm. buyer or prospect is ready to buy In fact, you know most aren't so can you talk a little bit about understanding the buyer's journey and the importance of that and building a strategy that will meet customers changing expectations today
2: so i, I kind of do it in three steps okay. the first thing that i would do is i would build out an ideal buyer profile um, and it's surprising how many companies don't really take this first step. All it is, is asking yourself, who is the ideal customer? You go, you look at your best customers, your most profitable customers, and you figure out some common traits. What industry are they in? You know, what size are they? Do they have common values with us? Are they a family business? Ask yourself some questions and figure out what makes the best customer for you. And, uh, and then once you've defined that, drill into the next level. And the next level is defining a buyer persona. And so, you know, who at that company is your primary point of contact? Who at that company is the one who actually is the one buying your products? Uh, who is the person that you're going to call on? Who is the person that you need to educate? And who is the person that you need to close as a customer? And defining who that person is is an extremely important part of developing an omnichannel strategy. And I really go into detail, like whenever I, we do buyer personas, you know, we get into this, like, serious detail all the way down to, like, how many kids does this person have, what's their educational yeah. background, what kind of brands they follow on social media, um, what's their political leanings. We need that information so that we can speak very pointedly and, and very direct to them. And we want to be able to speak their language. And so I think that's a very important thing to do. And a lot of traditional companies, you know, if they've been enjoying, you know, years and years of relationships with great, great customers, you know, gosh, you've got to do the hard work of defining who those customers are and documenting it, so that God forbid the time comes when that customer leaves you, you're not left stranded without a strategy. So uh, defining mm-hmm. the ideal buyer profile is the first step. Defining uh, a buyer persona is the second step. And then the third step is outlining the buyer's journey. You need to understand that people who are on your contact list, for example, let's just say, you know, they're they're prospects or they are customers or they're past customers or people that are just interested or subscribers, they're all in different stages, right? Some of them are researching solutions and they're not ready to talk to a sales rep. You're going to scare those people away and they're not going to come back. Other people are ready to buy, and they don't need to read a blog article, and they're not, they don't need to go you know, download an ebook or a catalog. They just need to have a very clear and simple checkout process. And some folks are in between where maybe they need to have that consultation with a sales representative, or maybe they need some additional information that's going to help push them over the edge to making a buying decision. And so what it's important to do is to, to define that buyer process um, and those stages of where those customers are and then to, like, think of them as buckets and then fill those buckets with content. And so, like, if I'm in the awareness stage of the buyer's journey, I may need an ebook about, you know, how to select the best, uh, you know, grinder wheels. Or I may need a catalog that will help me pick the right kind of uh, drill bits or safety gloves or something like that. And, you know, if I'm in the the middle of the buyer's journey, maybe I need a series of emails written that will tell me, hey, there's somebody here that I could speak to, or I could come in the store, or I could, you know, jump on the phone and talk to somebody to help me with my purchase. And then at the end of the buyer's journey, there's all kinds of things you can do to help compel that person to actually making a decision. There's coupon codes, um, there's, you know, special offers, there's call to actions where we are just... Telling them, okay, now that you've figured out what it is you need, go ahead and buy it. And it's surprising how many people don't do that with their digital marketing. But outlining all of this stuff is really important. And let's not forget that after that we have a customer and after they've bought a product, it's important to have content to get them to remind that customer that, hey, we love you. We appreciate you. Here's some additional materials. We'll remind you, hopefully, that we're the source for you. So come back and do business again. So it's not necessarily a funnel like it used to be. It's more like a flywheel. You know, once you have somebody in the door, you nurture that person, and then you convert them into a customer, and then you nurture them, and then the whole thing goes around and around. And that's like kind of the customer experience. Defining that is really important. That's worth a couple days locking your executive team or your marketing team in a room and putting that all out on paper. Yeah, I would challenge you guys to think about doing that.
1: We take a similar approach when we're developing content is kind of identifying those stages of journey and identifying what kind of content, and I'm just reiterating that because I think it's so important. Speaking of content, you guys developed some fantastic content on your website that's really useful, so I encourage uh, those listening to uh, check it out, Um, but you also just launched a new podcast.
2: So, I did a show a while back called Grow Live, and it was a show really for people that were on the ground. Uh, people that were, you know, in the the trenches, so to speak, you know, implementing websites and doing SEO and doing email marketing. That show was great, and when we had a lot of success with it. But I'm at a stage in my own career where, you know, I have kind of taken on the role of CEO and managing partner of my growth agency, and. I've just developed a real passion for industrial entrepreneurs, people who are like my grandfather, who are pioneers, who set out to build something new and to you know, really help people and sell industrial products. And so I created a show uh, especially for industrial entrepreneurs, and it's called The Takeover. And um, a new episode airs every week on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. We have a website called thetakeoverpodcast.com. And uh, we are on YouTube and iTunes and pretty much everywhere on the Internet where uh, content is delivered. And uh, I would really love for folks to go and check it out. Um, I think if you are a, an owner of a, an industrial business, whether you're a distributor or manufacturer, or maybe a wholesaler, it really doesn't matter. It's, it's about changing mentalities, driving positive change, and growing the business. The content's really delivered from the leadership perspective, and I, I hope that it's useful.
1: Congratulations.
2: Thanks. Thanks. And it's been awesome being on your show too. For me, it's, it's not like a gimmick. It's, it's not like something I'm doing to sell anything. It's really about creating content that I want to create. And, um, you know, it's an opportunity for me to learn from a bunch of thought leaders who are in our industry and people who are outside the industry who will cause us all to kind of step back and think outside the box and, and grow our business. So that's really what I'm excited about.
1: Yeah, that's exciting. I can't wait to listen. I guess, Matt, do you have any last thoughts for today?
2: If you're in leadership and you are kind of struggling with the idea of all this change that needs to happen, I highly recommend talking to somebody who is an expert in this area, whether it's a consultant or a marketing firm or somebody who has done this for other companies, or maybe even leveraging some of those networking groups and and talking to peers who have gone through a similar transformation. Follow some of the advice that we talked about earlier. Don't try to bite off too much at one time. Uh, Come up with a strategy that is manageable for you and and for your budget and for your team and start really building that change muscle. It's just like anything else. It's a muscle that you have to work out and build and starting small and working that out until you're able to take on bigger and bigger change. I think that's the place to start.
1: That's a great thing to leave us with. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Matt. Um, Again, I appreciate it. Can you share your website for everyone so um, they can go check it out? Mm
2: TheTakeoverPodcast.com. And uh, if you want to look at our agency, we have a full-service growth agency, and that's Spinstack.com, S-P-I-N-S-T-A-K.com.
1: Yeah, no C in there. All right. Awesome. Well, thank
0: you so much.
2: Thanks, Lindsay. It was great being on.
0: I hope you enjoyed listening to my conversation with Matt. If you want to learn more about Matt and SpinStack, please visit their website at spinstack.com. That's S-P-I-N-S-T-A-K.com. If you want to hear his podcast, The Takeover, visit spinstack.com backslash takeover. That concludes this episode of Attract, Engage, Grow. If you have a story you'd like to share, please reach out to me at 3 com or email lindsay at 3aspensmedia.com. That's the numeral three, not spelled out. Thank you for joining me. We'll see you next time.